This is a podcast by The Straits Times. Hi and welcome to Health Check, a podcast series by The Straits Times. I'm your host, Joyce Tu. Our topic today is youth mental health. The COVID-19 pandemic has taken a toll on people's mental health. Young people in particular may be feeling more stressed as they navigate a new normal at home, school or work. My guest today is Ms. Andrea Chan, the Assistant Director of Touch Mental Wellness. I ask her if Touch has seen more cases of late, what we can learn from the recent River Valley High School mother case, and if there's a way to tell if a young person is unwell and needs our help. Hi, Andrea. Thanks for coming on Health Check to talk about youth mental health. Hi, Joyce. The COVID-19 pandemic has greatly impacted the mental health of young people around the globe. So can you start by telling us about the challenges among the young people here and you know whether you've seen a rise in the number of young people who have sought help at TOUCH? So Joyce, the numbers have not gone down. In fact, um, since Circuit Breaker, our numbers have gone up more than 50% and it has been consistently there. It has not come down. Um, so it's almost like a heightened alert for counselling for the longest time in our centre so we do have quite a wide range. We do have the younger ones, well, the primary school ones, uh, they are managed by the, the children intervention team. But um, but part of the touchline calls start from 13 years old. So the 13 years old are calling us and all the way to 25, 26, 27, we also have those calls as well. Right, so issues with school and with work as well, with um, people working from home and yes. more social yes. distancing. Correct. We do have a wide range. We do have those who are very self-aware or their friends encourage them to give us a call and they call us to talk through some of the transitions, some of the discomfort that they have been feeling. So, for example, we do have uh, youths calling me, the, those who, are, who have graduated from JC and Poly and they are going to uni. So, I do have quite a few who intend to go study overseas and they called me asking... Um, asking me, should I go overseas, should I not go overseas? What are some things I should take into consideration? It's causing me a lot of stress. My parents are saying this. Um, the government is saying this with regards to the advisory. Um, do I do a gap year? Do I not do a gap year? These are big decisions that they have to make in a very fluid and ever-changing situation. So there is high levels of anxiety for this group. Of course, I do have my set ones. My set ones um, feel that, yeah, so they, they join SEC1 and they feel that um, they were not given a fair chance to adapt to the secondary school environment. So making friends is a big thing for youths, right? But with social distancing, um, there is a limit if they have to do HBL. So the whole going to school and transiting to a new school, the whole experience for them, um, it's very different because the transition is always happening and they never had that chance to settle in. So Andrea, how do you usually help these people? Mm. Um, okay, so usually what we'll do is over the phone, if it's over the phone and they call touchline, I would actually do supportive counselling first, meaning we will listen to their concerns, we will talk and help them process some of these emotions that they have. On top of it, at the back end, what I was doing in my head is that I'm doing my risk assessment. So what level of risk is that person at, at the moment, right, when they make the call? And then that's when we will kick in our necessary SOPs for the different uh, risk levels. So if you are low risk and you all you need is just that supportive counselling that somebody to talk to, we are happy to do that. If we are moderate to high risk, we would invite the caller to come down to the centre for face-to-face counselling so that we can do more than just supportive counselling. We can do therapy with that caller. I see. So if it's low risk, it's um, phone counselling. 
Yeah, so if they are, if we deem them as low risk and they need nothing more than just supportive counselling, we would be happy to do it via the phone. Um, but if let's say they do have uh, higher than low, higher than low risk, we do invite them to our centre. In fact, even if they are low risk, but uh, we do see that there are some things that we could work on with them to prevent the risk from escalating. We would also invite them to our centre. Right. Do they have to pay for this? No. So this is funded. We do have a funded program um, called Upper Room that funds the 13 to the 25-year-old. On top of it, for children, we also have a program called Enrich. It's a mental wellness um, intervention program for children. So for primary school children, it's also fully funded. Right, that's great. So Andrea, I wanted to ask you about the case in Singapore. You know, there was a murder case at River Valley High School um, last week. Mm. You know, it put the spotlight on youth's mental health. So uh, my question is, how can we reach out to these young people with mental health challenges, right? So, I mean, in, in the case of the 16-year-old attacker, he was warded at IMH after making a suicide attempt two years ago, right? So, I mean, if mm. young people, they keep silent about their mental health problems, how can we tell that they may need help? Yeah, I, I think it's a very tragic and sad case. I personally feel a lot about it because of the line that I'm in and the work we do. I think one of the key things we need to take note is it takes a village to raise a child, right? The child has a lot of... Uh, we Everyone comes in contact with a lot of uh, youths in our, in, our, in our space. And so it's important to look out for some of these signs and you could jolly well be the only one to be able to spot those signs because that youth trust you enough with those signs. So what then are these signs that we are talking about? Um, one of these signs is if you see a huge change in behaviour. So if they are generally a very outgoing child, they are happy-go-lucky and they are always joking and then you see that switch in behaviours, they start isolating themselves, they start, um, they start not going out, um, they start not sharing, they start being very quiet. That huge switch, um, it's something that, oh, could be a telltale sign, right? That's one. The other one, it's um, sleep habits. Are they sleeping more? Are they sleeping less? Um, eating habits, eating more, eating less. Um, and then when you talk with them, when you try to engage them, how has the conversation been? Do they sound very hopeless or generally very negative in the conversation? So for example, they say, with this pandemic, I don't think we'll ever come out of it. We will all just die from it, you know. So, so these negative thoughts like this that are fairly extreme, yes, are telltale signs for us. For teenagers, right, you know, there's teenage angst, you know. How can you actually tell the difference sometimes? Mm, okay, so how do you tell the difference is that we see persistent and consistent state. What do I mean? Consistently and persistently for a season, for a period of, a month, six months, they are still in that same state of time, uh, still in that same state of negativity or, or that extremity. That's when we realise that maybe it's far beyond just teenage angst. You know, teenage angst comes comes and goes, comes and goes, comes and goes. Um, but no, but mental health symptoms, it's consistent. So if you like what you're hearing so far, please subscribe to the Health Chat podcast for free on your favourite smartphone apps. Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Google Podcasts. Like us and give us a rating. Now back to our conversation with Ms. Andrea Chan, the Assistant Director of Touch Mental Wellness.
Andrea, the River Valley case shocked Singapore and affected many teachers and students. There may be others who are still affected by it. So what can parents say to their children about the case or other tragic events that they may read or hear about? Um, so have we done any processing with our children? Because this is one key teachable moment that we can show our acceptance, we can show our support for our children who are struggling. How can a parent do that processing? Do you mean just talk about the case and what mm. happened? Yeah, so we could, so for, for some younger ones, um, we could share with them what are their thoughts. So we could ask questions. We could have a very open question like, what is your thoughts about what has happened? Right? How, how does it affect you? So with my P1 child, I asked that exact question and he says that um, he's not fearful, right? Because he doesn't know if um, it's safe. He doesn't know if something would happen to him. And we started addressing some of these fears he had. Is this logical fear? Is it illogical fear? Is it rational? Is it not rational? Um, what are the chances of it happening? Uh, so we go through some of these processing of his emotions with him. For the older teenagers, you can also start with the same question. How does it affect you? And then you could ask questions like, do you face sim similar mental health challenges because your workload is so heavy, because um, you're involved in so many things? Do you face all of this as well? And I think we can openly have conversations like that because the more you openly talk about it, then the more they know that it's okay to talk about it. But if you do not even use the term mental health, it's almost like a taboo then they would have to go find out on their own and they would know that you are not accepting towards that. So openly talk about, do you have the same struggles? Do you have the same mental health struggles? How can mommy daddy support you in this? Right, interesting. So that's a good example, good excuse to actually talk about it. Yeah. So in, in the cases that you see at, at Touch, right, you know, what do the youth tell you about the support they get from their family? I mean, what do they wish their parents would do in supporting them you know, with their mental health challenges? We do have parents who do really well. Um, they do the homework with their children. They talk to their children a fair bit. They come therapy with their children. Of course, the children would see us one-to-one -one first before we invite the parents in. Um, but they are very participative in therapy and they try to change the home environment um, based on the feedback from the child. Um, so that is that very supportive parents. And then we have parents who, um, who may be very anxious so the child may have mental health challenges and they come in to see us. And as with any condition, mental health condition, sometimes it takes a, a, a little longer than what we would have expect for recovery to happen. And that's very normal. Um, but if the parents come in very high strung and they say like, oh, why are they not making progress? And constantly focusing on why are they not making progress? Why are they not making progress? Why is he still like that? Why is she still like that? Then it creates a lot of pressure on the child to need to make progress. Or the child feels like, oh man, when I come here, I must make progress. If not, I am worse than who I was then. The journey itself, I guess, is important. Correct, correct. So if parents, I also do have parents who used to call me, lesser now, but I have parents who used to call me and say, Andrea, so does Touch keep a medical record of my child? And do you report it to anyone? Would you all send it to the employers? Do you all send, put it in a government system and, and questions like that? Uh, because if you do, I'm not going to send my child to see you, right? And I have to explain to parents, no, uh, we do not keep a record. Everything is private and confidential. It doesn't go, go to a central system. But I also want to explain to parents, it's 
are all these stopping you from giving your child the help that your child needs? So let's prioritize, right? It's these, um, are these records or your perceived dent in their future more important than giving the child that the help that they need now? Because if they don't get the help that they need now, there is no future that we are talking about. Right, but you mentioned the records are kept at touch, right? Not yes. shared. I mean, unless no. I suppose for high-risk cases. No, so even for high-risk cases uh, over at touch, we do not share. Uh, we only do break confidentiality with the trusted person that the child gave us permission to do. So it, it could be the parent. Um, it, yeah, so it could be the parent, it could be the aunt. Um, but unless um, it's a police or, or it could be the police that we have no choice if we cannot get anyone, it could it could be the police. So that's for high-risk cases. But generally, right. everything is uh, private and confidential. Right. And the person that you're counselling would be aware that you yes. are going to... Okay, that you're going to talk yes. to the parent or somebody else, right? Yeah, okay, so we good. do have a standard that we do share with all youth, and we say this, um, everything that you share with me is private and confidential. Uh, unless you want to cause harm to self or others, then I may need to break confidentiality to protect you. So, Andrew, on this topic, if you have one tip to give to young people, you know, about um, seeking help for their mental health, what would you mm. say to them? I say this to people of all ages, right? If you have a fever, you have a cold, you go see the doctor. With mental health, it's the same, right? It's also part of your whole holistic well-being. So why not get help? Right, it's well said, yeah. I think if we want to fight the stigma associated with mental illness, we have to do that, right? It's yes. the same. You seek help for a flu, for... I don't know, maybe diabetes or hypertension. And if you have a yeah. mental health condition, you should seek help as well. Yes. Um, if you do have, if you are diagnosed with a mental health condition, it does not mean that you would stay down forever. Right? There is hope. There is the end of the tunnel. It might be a long journey, but we will walk with you through the end of it. So be hopeful and step forward and get the help that you need. That's wonderful. Thanks for your insights, Andrea. Thank you. Thanks, Joyce, for having me. This is the first of a two-part series on youth mental health. In the next episode, we will zoom in on the role parents play in promoting good mental health in their children. You've been listening to the Health Check Podcast by The Straits Times. Thank you for listening. That was an SBH podcast by The Straits Times. Find us on Spotify, Apple or Google Podcasts or streaming on Google Home. Do feedback to us at podcast.sbh.com.sg. You can also check out more podcasts on various topics at The Straits Times, The Business Times and Money FM 89.3.